Each generation, through its trials and its triumphs, valleys and plateaus, provides a trove of lessons for the generations that follow them. The fight for equity is endless, always requiring us to innovate and preserve simultaneously. We advance by building on the work of those who've gone before us, and many of them are still among us to put us on game. Gen Activist is an intergenerational podcast presented by Rosa Rebellion, a platform for creative activism by and for women of color. We are setting a table for intergenerational dialogue and collective disruption. Imagine it as a historical digital archive remastered for contemporary use and permanent preservation. These are our stories told by us for us. So get hyped for your co-hosts. Rosa Rebellion co-founders Virginia Cumberbatch, myself, Megan Harding, and the matriarch of Virginia's maternal family and the anchor of this podcast, someone we affectionately call G-Mom, Dr. Sylvia Russo. Gen activist, yeah, 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 yeah. Hello, Rebels. Welcome to another episode of Gen Activist, a space for intergenerational dialogue. Once again, we are so excited to invite you into a space of conversation. We explore things that inspire us, that motivate us to continue this work of creative activism and co-agitation. And today we're really excited for a conversation about our rest, about our health, um, that we cannot create um, space and energy for our resistance if it's not coming from a place of rest and wholeness. And so we're really excited to be inviting uh, Lauren Ash, who is the founder of Black Girl in Alm with us, um, to talk about the ways in which she has created intentional space for Black women and women of color um, in the space of yoga, in the space of mindfulness um, and health. And so Lauren Ash is committed to expanding the consciousness of Black women and women of color. She founded Black Girl in Ohm in 2014 with a vision to lead the creation of transformational experiences and content that radically center and authentically speak to a historically and consistently marginalized global community. From hosting the Black Girl in Ohm cast, go check it out, which has reached more than 2 million listeners within its four seasons, to touring the globe, guiding meditations, yoga, and transformational conversations for thousands of women of color. Lauren's contributions to the world ultimately reflect what she once needed and didn't see. Lauren has repeatedly been recognized as a trailblazer in contemporary wellness movement. She's a meditation and yoga teacher who centers compassionate presence and unconditional love. Sit back and relax and please join us for an incredible conversation with Lauren Ash. Like Virginia said, Lauren Ash is amazing. She actually helped us launch um, Rosa Rebellion in 2019 at South by Southwest. We launched our first project, Rebel and Rest, which was a wellness space, is a wellness space dedicated to the mental wellness of Black activists and activists of color. And I remember, Lauren, in that um, conversation that we had on that day, you centered intergenerational conversations and the importance of our ancestors. And so there's just so much synergy around the way that you do your work and what we do with Rosa Rebellion and with Gen Activists. And so we are continually inspired by what you've created with Black Girl and Om, and excited to have you join us today to talk about rest in the midst of resistance and creating space for community and healing. And so we just want to welcome you to the pod and just have you introduce yourself. Who are you? What's your personal journey? And how did you get to where you are today? Thank you so much, Megan. I honestly forgot that I helped you launch. I was like, I did? 
Yeah. Oh, wow. That's so <laughs> amazing. We've that lived like first 10 years. years. It feels like we've lived 10 years since 2019. So. Wow. Yeah. And that was a very special moment. That was so special. I just remember being so blown away, honestly, by the way that you all allowed yourselves to be supported. That's what mm -hmm. I remember. And that's a big theme for me right now. So Thank lots you. of synergy. For sure. Um, yeah, I am in this moment really aware of my power as a leader and reminded how everyone has a role to play, right? Everyone has a distinct divine purpose and destiny and we're meant to just stay in our own energetic lane and stay focused on what that is. And I'm very clear that, you know, in this moment, I, I am focused on the lane that is healing, <laughs> that is creating spaces for, for Black people, and specifically my work is all about Black women um, coming together to, um, to heal. But when I say heal now, I, I'm saying it with an awareness that is um, distinct from how I've even talked about healing in years past. When I talk about healing, I really mean that we are healed and that we are whole. And so what does it mean to operate from that? Mm. Um, what does it mean to like operate from a place of wholeness from a like uh, affirmation that we can thrive even now? Tell and us, can you tell us about that journey? Like you, you obviously have made a shift. And so what, what's that shift and how'd you get there? The shift really though happened um, in March of 2020, when I moved back home, literally at the same time as when the global pandemic that we now know as COVID-19 um, was first starting to really sweep the United States. Um, you know, I've shared this in my podcast on Black Girl Gnome, and I shared this with Chloe in the Life I Swear podcast more in depth, but I was really led home um, from, from my ancestors. I was having a series of dreams that started in late 2019 and, and continued until I really paid attention in early 2020 um, that were containing messages about me in my home going essentially, you know, um, I never thought I would return to Minnesota and never thought that I would live here again. I never thought that I would create a space for intergenerational healing here. Never any of those things. But because I listened eventually and like obeyed, you know, I, I literally was on a plane coming back home the same week that they were issuing stay at home orders. And the reason why I mentioned this is because me returning home and deliberately choosing to live with family again for the, uh, well, I didn't know it was going to be so long <laughs> during a pandemic when I said, yes, I will listen to you. I will listen to the dreams. I didn't know any of that. Um, but I did stay back at home with family for seven months. And the reason why I bring this up, you know, in the context of your question is because I had to be brought back home with the conviction of I'm going back home to heal my family, to see all of the limited beliefs that were embedded in that return. Mm. Like, I didn't know that I was actually still quite attached to the untruth that a sign that you are healing is that you are suffering. I did not know that I still carried the limited belief around 
um, me needing to take on everyone else's burdens. <laughs> there were so many things. And going back home and living with family again for those seven months where we were literally with each other, you know, day in and day out, allowed me to see all of that. And, you know, there's so much, um, I got an email today where someone used really interesting language about how we're being bombarded, you know, from the news and just collective consciousness actually with like crisis, like everything feels like a crisis, right? And when you're bombarded with that narrative of everything feeling like a crisis and being a crisis and oppression and white supremacy and police brutality and violence and death and death and death and sickness and don't get sick and protect yourself and all this stuff, your nervous system is going to be on 10 all of the time unless you deliberately step into your sovereignty around how you literally can author your reality and your life and also co-create that with the people around you. And so when I talk about like operating from a place of I am already existing in my wholeness, it doesn't mean that I'm perfect. I am healed already. It doesn't mean that there's no areas for me to grow and expand upon and there, that there isn't work to do, <laughs> but it's a very different way of approaching what it means to live and experience like this embodiment as a human who is also very much divine than the default state, which is like always existing from a place of trauma, you know? And again, it's not to minimize depression. It's not to minimize trauma. Those are very real things. But so is me being literally the expression of God and literally the expression of love. And love and God is far more powerful than any of those other things. So it's about like where my gaze is focused. You know, like the space that my team and I are creating here in Minneapolis is literally about shifting the gaze from trauma and <laughs> white supremacy and like all the nonsense to like, okay, our birthright though still is to thrive. So how can we do that? I mean, you, you are touching on something that Megan and I and G-Mom have conversations with all the time. In fact, you know, if we were to revert back to a year ago in the midst of, of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd, I remember having a conversation with Megan, just a friend conversation, not a co-founder conversation. And I was like, is this all that we are meant for? Like, why does it feel like our life as Black people attached to this land, particularly in North America, is connected to suffering, trauma, like generational trauma? Like, we are the, absorbing what our parents went through with our grandparents, our great great grandparents we never met. We are an extension of what they've experienced in this life. And I'm so grateful to hear you kind of surface and elevate this this idea that we have the power to disrupt that as our norm. We have the power to disrupt that as our story, as our present story and our future story, right? That we are not, you know, there's this wonderful platform called uh, uh, Black Liturgies written by Cole Arthur. And she said that we as Black people, as people of color are more than trauma. We are joy, we are hope. And so this idea yeah. of creating space to be intentional about cultivating joy, cultivating hope, I think is so important. And I think more vital to our, um, our ability to not just exist, right? But as you say, 
to walk in our purpose as people. And I think a distinct purpose as people of color and as our individual beings. And so I wonder if you could walk us a little bit through, you know, not just the sort of epiphanies and growth that you've had in the present day during this global pandemic, but even sort of the impetus for building Black Girl and Om, because I, I, I know so much of it is connected to your personal story and your family story, which for us is such an important thread, you know, bringing into existence those things that you didn't see. Um, yeah. What were you not seeing six, seven years ago? Yes, thank you for that. Because, you know, so much can change in just shy of a decade, you know. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I appreciate this question. You know, I grew up in predominantly white settings, you know, my school settings into college were all predominantly white. I would say that the only um, place that was you know, black <laughs> was my family and at times the churches that we attended. And, um, you know, in, in the sea of white, you know, if you're not really um, coming from a family or a, a context, like, you know, outside of the home that is not like centering and affirming your blackness, like, at least my experience, I'll just speak for myself. I did not really find like a deep, like significance or like a power in being black. Right. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I stepped into reclaiming my racial identity as a source of power when I was a sophomore attending the university of St. Thomas. And there were a series of racially motivated hate crimes that happened over the course of a 24 hour period on the floor where I was the resident advisor. So, you know, here I was this leader, like this hall mom, so to speak, and um, was faced with these really traumatizing attacks, you know? And it was interesting because the attacks weren't overtly directed to me. It was three black women who lived down the hall. Um, however, it was in such close proximity, literally to where I like slept and ate and all the things that I couldn't help but realize, oh wow, this is literally against me, right? And so that certainly laid a foundation that was absolutely necessary for me as someone who would, of course, you know, looking at me now, go on to um, know the importance of um, identity as it plays out in this material reality, right? Because at the end of the day, all of us are spirit, all of us are soul, our bodies will fade. And then we go into something that we don't even really know about. We can just theorize about it all day. We don't really know. Um, <laughs> um, but in this, you know, physical reality, we know that things like identity have implications, right? And so it allowed me to awaken to the implications and of which included oppressed, oppression, racism, discrimination, but also power because I was able to connect with other black students, be supported by members of the administration who were black and people of color and um, really, again, reclaim my knowing of like, wow, like there's so much resiliency that we have to literally face all of this wild like energy and attacks and wild. still- wild. <laughs> Really wild. Like, it doesn't even make sense. It doesn't even make sense. <laughs> so, you know, that was really key. And then, you know, another thing that was really key that formed my passion, the foundation of my passion for my well-being 
um, was um, when I went to grad school, I went to Purdue University. I got my master's in American studies. I was studying black feminist literature. And in my first year, I was completely isolated. Like I didn't have really deep friendships. I was not really connecting that much with others. I went through a really bad breakup and I felt really alone. And from that place of isolation and also from a place of really feeling how much my body was carrying stress and tension, that's what gravitated me towards yoga. So I started going to the local yoga studio, not because it was like cool or trendy. So kind of speaking to your question, Virginia, around like what has changed, like yoga was certainly always kind of on an upward popularity trend in the West at that point. This was in like the early 2010s but it wasn't in your face like it is now. Um, and so I didn't go cause it was like, cool. I went because I was like, let me just like release the tension in my shoulders. <laughs> and then of course I realized, oh, this is actually helping me feel lighter about this breakup that I'm processing. Oh my God, this is actually like allowing me to feel tapped into my spirituality. What is that about? You know? And um, you know, certainly me recognizing that every time I went to the yoga studio, I, I was really finding a lot, but I was also desiring a lot at the same time because every time I looked around, I was the only black woman, mostly at times, the only person of color in general. And um, I continued to practice um, consistently for about three years until I eventually took up yoga teacher training um, when I was super just over the job that I was trying so hard to get and eventually got and was like, why, why am I here? And, um, started so many of us, <laughs> Yes, you get it. And so, you know, I started black grown home shortly after yoga teacher training because I just was like, wow, you have to create what you don't see period. Like, you know, we hear that all the time, but like you literally do. And it doesn't mean starting when you have the money. It doesn't mean starting when you have, the support that you can tangibly see, it means literally starting where you're at. And from that place, trusting and believing that all will be provided and brought to you in divine timing for it to reach the most people, for it to um, impact, you know, in the greatest extent. So I, I'm very interested in what you're saying. I have a few questions. And since it's intergenerational, um, uh, I'd like us to maybe try to contextualize this conversation in the lives that we've lived in America as Black women. Um, so one, definitely you're in the midst of a huge upheaval uh, that's very stressful. So one of the questions I would ask you is, um, in what way have you found and are you able to assist others to find rest or healing in the middle of that. Uh, and then I'm putting it in the historical context where uh, maybe from my generation and certainly from generations before me, uh, rest, um, rest was almost a word you could not allow yourselves. And yet I think there was a certain rest in the actions. So I look at, a, again, one of my heroes, Fannie Lou Hamer, or I look at, uh, you know, just the women who, I think they had, and it, it's a dichotomy, and can we blend these? Because in the midst of upheaval, in the midst of oppression, you have to find yourself. And I think I hear some of that from you. And your rest is in the confidence of who you are and who God has made you to be. Um, 
And so, um, so these women didn't know rest in the traditional way, but I think they could not have done what they uh, did without this um, agreement with God that this is who I am and the enemy can't define me. I think that's a huge part of rest that no matter how oppressed we are, I will, I will, I will reclaim my humanity and you can't define me. And I think in our earlier uh, podcast, I, 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 I've been struck by these words of Ralph Ellison in Invisible Man, where he's struggling with the world and how they define him as a man, he's invisible. And then one day he's walking through the middle of Harlem and there's a cart selling hot yams. And he looks at it and he says, I am what I am. And it's like this epiphany for him that whatever, whether you recognize me or not, I'm claiming myself. So in the middle of that, how do we continue the struggle, but out of a place of wholeness? Uh, and you're in the heat of it right now. So I'd yeah. love to hear more from you. Thank you so much. I'm feeling lots of emotions in response to everything you said. So I just want to thank you for bringing in a lot of our, you know, communal ancestors into the conversation. Um, Fannie Lou Hamer, Ralph Ellison. I just, I appreciate so much that you invited them <laughs> here. So mm -hmm. um, I love what you were speaking to around self-definition. That is so powerful. That is so powerful. Like, yes, absolutely. Rest now for Black people, for Black women, knowing that there's also all these other identities that connect. And it's like, we're, you know, there's class, there's sexuality, all the things. Like, it looks different. And it has, and it has morphed over the years. I mean, I've been thinking, I've been thinking about, uh, yeah, I've been thinking about this, and, and, and I talk about this often with uh, our community members in Black Girl and Ohm around, like, it's so important to just be super clear on what you mean, right? When you're calling in an intention, you're speaking these affirmations over yourself, what do you actually mean? Because in that clarity is the power, you know? And in that clarity of how you embody freedom, what freedom means to you, someone else will look at you and be like, that can be freedom too, you know? like. There are people literally showing up, you know, downtown Minneapolis at the government center um, in, in, re in reaction to all that is happening um, around the trial, right, um, in, in response to George Floyd's um, murder. There are people now showing up in Brooklyn Center in response to, um, in response to Dante Wright's murder. And their physical showing up for liberation and for Black Lives Mattering is just as essential as me holding space for our liberation in our breath and in our bodies and in our minds as Black people. Like, it all matters. <laughs> it all matters. Yeah. Um, when you asked about, like, you know, how I conceive of rest and, and things like that, it, it brought me back actually to a memory that I have from only a few months ago. Um, we put out our first EP at Black Girl and Elm, so a series of three um, meditation tracks that are actually all rooted in rest and rejuvenation. Mm -hmm. And before we released it, my mom actually came over and I was like, oh, mom, do you want to hear like this new project? And I hit play on it and she was like, 
laying on my couch. <laughs> and the reason why I'm laughing is because she like immediately dropped in. It was just like, boom, right? She was just ready for that. Mm -hmm. And afterwards, she sits up, she looks at me, and she asked me a very simple question. She said, Lauren, how do you rest? And it was like, she was literally asking me to tell her so that she could enter rest. And what was really interesting about the conversation that unfolded was her telling me that her mother, my grandmother Lillian, um, who I talk about all the time, she's just like amazing. <laughs> Um, she raised six children, including my mother, um, and honestly, a couple foster kids, um, by herself. My grandfather abandoned his family when my mom was five and, you know, they were all arranged. She had one younger son and then it all went up to my, my eldest uncle John. And, you know, I literally can't imagine what it would have been like to be a single black divorced woman who traveled all the way up from Louisiana to St. Louis to Chicago to eventually St. Paul, Minneapolis, and then was abandoned and like raised these children. And so my mom tells me, you know, because of the nature of that, she didn't learn rest, right? Like she more so was also learning how to show up and serve others and take care of others and meet other people's needs. But meanwhile, because we're talking about the intergenerational, you know, um, elements who are healing and what we pass along, I actually learned a lot of valuable lessons from my grandmother about rest. Because my grandmother had the capacity when I came into the world as her granddaughter, and she had the spaciousness to be able to model that for me. Like my grandmother literally taught me what it means to take care of your body. She was always in the bathtub, taking a bath. I was drawing baths for her. She was like Miss Luxury. She had like all these body creams and body. I was just like, you better live your life. <laughs> and like, I just remember her bed always being immaculately made, like, you know, rest, like sleep was essential. But I just find it so fascinating, right? That like, even my grandmother's embodiment, again, as a black woman who took on different roles for others and different roles for herself over the course of her life, my mother, my mother didn't learn it from her mother. I learned it from her mother, but now my mother is learning rest through me. Mm. So like, there's this like interesting energy exchange and it's just like, also a reminder of like, you know, you're speaking about God. My truth is that we always get what we need. It doesn't always look the way that we will, but like yeah. Yeah. when you affirm that God is your supply, your mother may or may not be your actual mother figure, but you're going to get that mothering energy from someone or something else. It could be in the most strange of places, right? Like I am realizing as I age, like I'm getting divine masculine, like um, provider protector energy in my 30s in abundance because I didn't really receive that in the way that I fully deserved when I was a little girl, right? So it's like, it's just so powerful. And um, also answering your first question around, um, you know, how I show up um, to really support and hold space in this moment. I mean, I remember when COVID was really impacting us again in the States, um, I felt really called to start holding one-on-one -on -one space. Um, and I just offered a bunch of sessions for free probably like, I don't even know how many, but dozens of sessions for free. And in that, I was able to really like 
you know, get a pulse of like our collective consciousness as black women and like what we need and like how, how we're taking care of ourselves and just the most amazing themes arose. And it was just like, and those are still true now. Like, honestly, the ways that we dare courageously to still show up for ourselves, despite <laughs> this <laughs> external bombardment of, you know, of just madness that we hear. It's like, we are still daring to self-care, self-love, stand in our wholeness, stand in our capacity to still thrive. Because guess what? We've been doing that yeah. over generations. Yeah, I think that that's like, so first of all, shout out to Babs. I have to, I just have to take a moment because me and Virginia have this back and forth all the time. I am a huge bath person. Um, and like, it literally is part of my wellness routine. I have to have them. It is how I relax. Um, so my kid goes down and I immediately run to a bath. And Virginia is always like, oh gosh, she's such a shower person. So anyway, shout out to Babs. They, and Babs salts and Babs teas, which I have learned about Babs teas. That's a different level. Like that elevates it to a different level. Uh, shout out to Beloved Box, which is a black owned company, which is where I learned about Babs teas. Anyways, I, I, I've never heard of it. Put me on, please. I'm gonna have to, you know what? I'm gonna sing you some. Absolutely. I will sing you some. It'll be part of your thank you gift. (laughs) But I, um, you know, I think it's important that we recognize like the different narratives that are impacting us at any time. And I think what you said, it was really, really important that this has been happening, right? Like we have been thriving. We have been cultivating joy. Mm -hmm. We've been cultivating rest, Mm -hmm. um, even in the midst of, you know, unruly oppression. And sometimes it can feel like, oh, you know, this self-care movement is commercialized and it's brand new. And, you know, now they've, uh, you know, turned it into a capitalistic tool, which is all true, right? But the idea that we have figured out how to take care of ourselves so we can continue um, to show up in whatever way we need to show up has been happening forever for Black people, right? So I think that that's super duper important. Um, I want to kind of pivot a little bit just to talk to you about creating space for ourselves and innovators and entrepreneurs of Black women. Um, and, you know, you, you shared a little bit about, like, why you started Black Girl and Um, but I would love for you just to talk to us about why you decided to start something yourself versus aligning with, like, a certain brand or, or doing something with someone else, right, adjacent. Like, why it was important for you to own this space and be able to cultivate it to specifically um, cater to and nourish Black women? Great question. I mean, the, the like gut reaction to it is that like, I just think about my mother from a young age, she always knew that I was going to create something on my own terms. Like she, she had her third eye all the way open about my future life and creative, you know, plans and like, career, I suppose, like she knew, you know? Um, so it's kind of just like, I, I didn't really see partnering formal with anyone else, but I, I, I also think that Black Girl Gnome is actually a divine partnership with all of the phenomenal Black women majority who have stepped into the team and who have supported and co-created the vision, right? Like there are so many powerful women that have been 
a part of the team over the years. And some of them have rocked with us, you know, for the long haul. Some of them have come on, have come off, have come back. Like, and every single person I'm like in awe of because all of them are um, creating beautiful things and generating beautiful, necessary, like healing power and transformation into the world on their own terms as well. Um, so in a sense, I'm like, Black Girl Home is, is very much like a divine partnership with, with others. It just might not be in a formal way, like, you know, but it, it really is. And it's, it's definitely grown to be what it is now in large part due to all the people who have come in and been like, this is your vision, Lauren. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Here's what I see. Here's what I want to add to that beautiful pot, you know? Yeah, for sure. And now you, know you are creating a physical space um yeah. to to for us to come rest and be nourished and take care of ourselves so talk to us about home and what that project is home is our intergenerational healing space in minneapolis that will be hyper local in minneapolis through you know the structure the brick and mortar but it will also be expansive beyond that and accessible in many ways for people all around the world um, you know, I have to be honest, I'm, I'm always remembering that my process creating anything, including my career is extremely nonlinear. And so I am embracing more than ever the fact that like, there's certain things that I know that something will be, but it's really like a journey. Like when we open, you know, and I am anticipating the fall of 2021, um, it's going to look different than even what it looks like in my mind. So this is fascinating. And again, I'm always trying to bring the intergenerational. Uh, I think black women have found a way for a kind of rest, uh, no matter what, even in the midst of slavery. So what it brings to mind, a couple of things, and you can tell me how off track this may be. Uh, but as a child growing up in church, uh, there were times when uh, the phrase, uh, sister so-and-so got happy. And that meant she was shouting, throwing pocketbooks, everything. Uh, but <laughs> so maybe that's the only channel. But she always, I would, and there were a few women, they always seemed so much better after they kind of just threw it all off, you know, and just said, I'm, this, I'm shedding this thing and it won't define me. Uh, but what I think young women like you are doing are in the context of who we are now because we do have more power over our lives or at least we recognize that power and their circumstances and you're tapping into you know crossing borders into yoga etc so what you're bringing is um in a sense happy uh, that happiness that comes when we just yield to situations and say, I'm claiming myself in the middle of all this. And so uh, I think that you're bringing a new dimension to that, partly because there are other avenues open to us and there's an awareness. Um, but I'm just interested in how you interpret that. I love that. Absolutely. You know, I haven't ever heard that phrase. So I'm grateful because I'm going to start using it so we can re-elevate it and bring it forward. Um, yeah, Lauren got happy. Lauren's getting happy every day with the vision. Lauren's just out here experimenting with life. That is what she's doing. <laughs> and so 
currently Lauren's getting happy with the idea of an apothecary in the space, you know, mm. um, uh, selling bulk organic herbs that are sourced from black people. In fact, that actually might be sourced straight from Africa. That's like a new uh-huh. development that, that's happening. Um, because I really believe in the power of, of, of herbal healing, um, emotionally, yeah. spiritually, and physically. Um, Lauren is getting happy with the idea of intergenerational programming. So bringing in beautiful people like yourselves, like literally this, this podcast conversation is literally like a blueprint for what we can do in the space, um, bringing together families to be in more facilitated, um, focused conversation with one another, bringing in, um, you know, because our community also, it's like, you have people who aren't your blood family, but who are very much your family in conversation around things. Like, there's so many times, you know, where as I continue to age, um, where I'm just like, ooh, like, this friendship is being asked to deepen into a new level, and we're working it out, but wouldn't it be nice if we had someone to facilitate that and, like, to talk about, you know, these really like existential um, life things that come up in all relationships, but sometimes you're like too afraid to go deep because you don't have the space held for you to go deep, you know? So really um, a space for, for conversations to go deep in a way that feels very sacred and like, um, and, and centered. Um, and yeah, you know, you mentioned yoga. I definitely envision um, embodiment because embody, embodiment in my experience is really where the healing happens. Um, I'm, I, I'm an advocate for all kinds of mental health support. Um, I myself have gone to therapy for a number of years and I've benefited from it. And sometimes one breathwork class, mm-hmm. yoga class, mm-hmm. dance session, mm-hmm. playing that gospel music, looking at yourself in the mirror, crying, that can do some instantly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I love, first of all, that for me is already the quote of the podcast episode. Lauren is getting happy. Um, <laughs> I just need to trademark that, put some t-shirts on. <laughs> um, but I, one, just a note, I think it's so interesting that we've kind of come into this space that as people of color, we are reclaiming processes and rituals that have always been a part of our healing, but have been in some ways co-opted, misappropriated from mm-hmm. us. Like we're talking about yoga, right? A practice that was made by brown people, right? That was nurtured and then it was commercialized. And so this idea of restoring ourselves as individuals and as communities through practices and rituals that have always been developed for, for support, for our collective community healing. And so it's so um, empowering and joyful to be a part of spaces that are are doing that reclaiming on our behalf and we get to be the beneficiaries of it but one of the things i wanted to um sort of surface was lauren i thought it was so amazing where you named that um rest and sort of health regiments was modeled by your grandmother and so you absorbed that as a young child right it wasn't directly from your mother and then here you are you know, as an adult, 
creating these spaces informally and formally and your mother's learning from you. And I think that is how community and family should always be. And so I joke around with my grandmother because, you know, here she is sitting, you know, 80 something years old. And as her granddaughter, first of all, I've seen this woman retire like four times. And I was like, maybe you don't know what the word retirement means. Maybe we need to redefine that for you because it typically means you stop working. And so I literally... I have literally been to three formal retirement ceremonies. And then two weeks later, I'm on the phone with her and she's like, well, you know, the school district asked me to come in and, and, cons- and cons- uh, be a consultation or, you know, do be an advisor or I'm going to write this report. I'm going to sit on this board. And so I do think there's been this beautiful intergenerational dynamic with my mother, my grandmothers about the work still continues. And I don't ever necessarily want to um thwart that for my grandmother and mother like your wisdom is still needed your we glean such beauty and understanding from you but what does it look like to still create intentional space for us and so for g mom i would love to hear from you sort of who are the people in your life that model rest and health holistically and then lauren i would love to hear from you in response to g mom sort of what what things you've offered your mother to kind of help her relearn, right? Or perhaps unlearn some things about rest. So, uh, well, one, I'm learning from you, Virginia, to talk more about rest. So that's that's important. Um, but I do think, um, I want to bring in the role of church in the Black community again. Uh, my husband, who was a pastor, used to say to me, Syl, if we didn't have church, blood would roll in the streets every Friday night in America with our people under the oppression they're in. So I think people did find their rest in that. There's a great painting by, oh, what's his artist's name? I can't remember. It's this woman leaping on Sunday, come Sunday. I mean, that was our rest. You know, we dressed up, uh, we looked our best and said, you can't go to church looking like that. Well, you know, we may have carried it a little far. Oh, yeah. so special. I'm dressing up for this. I'm going to church. So I think we found rest with each other in our testimonies um, about how we had come through the week. There was this little woman called Rachel Tatum. She was about four feet ten and there would be testifying at church on communion Sunday afternoon. And, and, and Rachel would say, and I still carry this message from rest, Rachel that gives me rest. And she would repeat, you know, to, in her testimony what had happened to her that week. And then she would punctuate it with this. But then I just said, this is what she said. Then I just said, Lord, you take care of the situation. She couldn't say situation. You just take care of the situation. And so we saw this little five foot 10 woman stand strong in life, but that was the rest that she had found. So I'm learning, however, with five children and teaching school and a pastor's wife and all of that, uh, I'm finding now, I'm learning a little bit in retirements, Virginia, that I intentionally start my day quiet and as there's a scripture says the song says order my steps in your word 
And when I lost my husband, the Lord's Prayer just took on meaning. That one line in the Lord's Prayer that said, give us this day our daily bread. And I would start saying, God, you know what? I only need one day at a time my daily bread because I couldn't eat the whole loaf if I had it. If I start thinking about all this stuff and I need this. And I'm finding rest in that statement just today. Uh, so it's, I'm finding ways to increase uh, my rest. And Virginia was not easy rearing your mother and all those other they weren't the best children in particularly the world. your mother virginia excuse me my mother what <laughs> uh, but what one thing i did was start getting up at four o'clock in the morning for my time for renewal and rest when it was 8 30 at night i would say to my kids time to go to bed and if you don't i turn into a witch at nine o'clock <laughs> so, but it was i would go to bed right after them and wake up at four in the morning when it was quite, that was my time. And so I think your grandmother found some of that time, maybe like you, Megan, in the bath, mm -hmm. <laughs> whatever it is. But I do think we have the capacity to, to find our rest, but we need people like you to help to remind us that how important it is to have that time and that we can't be whole as we face the world without that. So I'm grateful to young women like you and for Megan and Virginia who remind us that it's okay. It's more than okay. It's just essential to our being to find that, that kind of rest. So I guess one of the questions to me as I keep making these references to church, etc., how do you see that in terms of you and the work you do and does it complement or does it in some ways evolve? And just help me a little bit in understanding that. Yeah, thank you so much again for all your wisdom and perspective. It's so beautiful to just hear these moments. I'm like, oh, I saw the church. I saw the church that you were talking about. I saw the testimony time. I saw it. Oh, I love a good testimony. I'm always, um, I think this is actually gonna be a program that I develop, a more formal one. I'm always talking about praise reports. I'm always checking in with my community and like, tell me a good word. Things are happening every day that are good. We're just not always amplifying them and we need to if we wanna see yeah. more of it. Yeah. Um, so, um, and that, that verse that you talked about, give us this day our daily bread, you know, that speaks so powerfully to me around surrender and trust and living in the now, you know, like, God is found in the now. It's when we start to time travel and get anxious about what's to come, where we dwell in the past and what we could have done better, that we forget that. It's like God is living right now in this conversation and it's yeah. asking for our attention, you know? Um, so yes, I, um, I feel like uh, rest how I find it. That's really the question, right? Yeah, I find rest in so many things right now. I mean, on this journey of, of really finding what my most like aligned daily flow feels like, you know? And I really found it this year more than ever. I really start my mornings off exactly how I want to. And my team knows 
Lauren's probably not going to be online. We're not going to hear from her until about 11 a.m. because I have all of my morning rituals before that moment and I have spaciousness around them so that if I want to wake up a little later, I can. I, like you, have actually been getting up earlier and earlier because I just love the quietness of the morning. But, you know, I'm really, um, I'm really at a place now where I feel really um free in that space because to be honest we're so conditioned especially as black women but i would say like everyone in the west unless you're resisting it is so conditioned to like view every day through the lens of how productive am i and so even in the beginning of my career when i did have agency to shape my time and invest myself as i desired i was very like hesitant about doing that i was like I need to get online and I need to work, right? And I just have compassion for that former version of myself because, you know, she was just living according to what she had seen and what she knew then. But now I'm like, oh, I have so much more to give when I spend the first few hours of the day on me. I have a friend who's actually staying with me right now. And every time I have any friend come visit, I let them know in advance, I'm like, look, Staying with me is a spiritual retreat. And they always laugh unless they've stayed with me before. <laughs> then they're like, oh yeah, I know that's why I'm coming. <laughs> but you know, this friend was like, like literally this morning, came upstairs, we did yin yoga together, we did a kundalini practice together, we did one of Deepak Chopra's abundance meditations, we journaled, I made us some like veggie scramble, like, and this was all before 10 <laughs> 30. And it was just like, I was just like, no, like, look, this is what I do. You're just stepping into it. And I hope that when you return, you can remember that you're also worthy of doing this. And I say all this too, knowing that not everyone who's perhaps listening to this conversation has that agency around time like I do as an entrepreneur. Um, and so what I would encourage and offer is all of us throughout the day, whether it's five minutes, 15 or an hour, do have time that we may be unconsciously interacting with, right? It might be the time where you're like, let me just watch this show on Netflix. Hey, no judgment. I was watching Netflix like on repeat the other night. There's this hilarious show that I can't get enough of and I've just been watching the episodes over and over again. <laughs> but for those who desire to feel more full, right? For those who desire to say, you know what? I've really been feeling like God or my higher self is really calling me into a deeper, more intentional relationship with myself. Start to look at those little moments of time that you might think you don't have time for something. And I promise you, infuse a little moment for affirmations in there. Journal, reflect on your life. Use that time to maybe call an elder in your life and be like, tell me something. Tell me, give me some mm -hmm. wisdom. Whatever it is, like all of us do, whether it's five minutes, five hours, reclaim it. I love that. I think it's so beautiful. Um, you know, the amount of grace that you have with yourself and others, it just, mm -hmm. it comes through everything that you say um, and just your spirit. And, you know, even for me, right. I remember my mom, I was, it was probably about five years back. She was like very concerned about my schedule and the grind. And she said to me, I'm actually getting emotional, which is like, but she said to me, Megan, you're going to burn out. She was like, you're going to burn out. You have to figure out a way to um, redefine what it means for you 
to find time for yourself. My mom modeled, I got baths from my mama. <laughs> you know, you need to listen to your mama. Um, you know, she walks, you know, she, she takes time to get out and walk. I got my love from nature, for nature from her. And, um, you know, I really had, I really did. I reached burnout and I had to redefine um, productivity. Um, like to me, when you talk about your morning before 1030, I'm like, all of that is productive. Even though in a capitalistic society, they wouldn't call that productivity, right? Um, and, and to create margin in my life, margin is very, very important for me to not have things all packed together and to also flow. Like I, I heard a lot of you talking about flow, but just to hold things loosely, right? So I'm thinking about the fact that, you know, I'm an attorney who now is, is the co-founder of Rose Rebellion and talking to everybody in every space I can about the, the importance of rest and margin. And so, um, you know, I've had to have a lot of grace for myself as I've gone on this journey um, to, create, to create the space. And so I love how much grace I hear um, in this process because some people can listen to this and they think, oh God, like I, I'm so far from being able to do that. But I think it's important for everyone to know that it's okay, you're going to go on a journey um, once you commit to being intentional about your rest and um, there's room for you to pivot and to flow and to figure it out. Absolutely. Yeah. And my hope too, is that whoever, you know, listens to my journey literally knows that it has been a journey. You know, there was a former version of me who was so excited about black girl and ohm that I want, I was much more concerned with and aware of bringing other people into healing into wholeness into well-being into self-love into self-care. And at the year three mark of black girl, Noma, I had a huge awakening around oh, girl, you got to come back to doing that for yourself. Mm -hmm. And so I've been in this constant ebb and flow um, over the years of like, oh, having that awakening again and again and again, like th there's truly levels to how deep you can go with taking care of yourself. And none of the levels are about perfection. You know, none of the levels are about, oh, I engaged with self-care for X amount of time today that makes me better than someone else. No. It's just about cultivating that intimate connection with yourself and knowing that when you do, it's very powerful for yourself and others. So how much can you just sink into your worthiness and your knowingness around your worthiness to do so? So it's really nonlinear and, and it's, yeah, grace is like a necessary part of that. I love it. I like your emphasis on finding moments. Uh, during the day and you can say it's just five minutes it can be two minutes to center ourselves again and to try to get uh so it doesn't always have to be this long rest and virginia i've retired this many times because i'm getting rest between them <laughs> well, that's what it was all these years i was unsure i will just add to the anecdote that you know megan just shared about her mother kind of signaling to her when she was observing that she was on the brink of break and burnout. And I think that again, is such a, the power, the power that is present in having connections with folks. And again, they don't have to be related to you through blood, but having people in your life that can actually hold you accountable for your rest, mm -hmm. what rest looks like for you, having people mm -hmm. in your life that show up. I mean, Megan is a prime example of this. You know, I've ex experienced loss in the past uh, year and um, one of the most powerful ways that she showed up as a friend for me was 
she knew it was important that I, that I find a therapist. And she goes, I know how taxing that journey of just finding someone can be. I'm going to do all the research and send you five people to choose from. And so, I mean, I'm going to try not to, to cry. I mean, it was such a visceral way to show up for someone that you care and you love. And so, you know, I, I, I want to invite that into the space of what we all do collectively is how are we showing up for other people so that they can rest, so that they can find a rhythm, right, of wholeness in their life? Because the truth is, and one of the impetus for this podcast is that not all of us have the luxury or the privilege of having that modeled for us. It is truly something we have to learn and unlearn. And I think that's what's so powerful about you and your own um, thought leadership, Lauren, and then the space of Black Girl and Amish. You're modeling things for people, particularly women of color, Black women, who have for too long, so long, right, said, um, been um, in some ways poorly educated about what we deserve, what is accessible to us, right? And what can be a part of our healing in the moment, that it doesn't have to be later, down the years. When I stop working at this job, when people stop killing each other on the street, but that, no, we can have rest and wholeness in this moment, in the here and now. And um, one of the, the, the images that I constantly have in my mind when I think about how it's modeled for me is that my grandmother, till this day, walks three miles a day and um, my mother runs three miles a day. And I used to, I think, associate that with like this idea of physical health. Like, oh, they're doing that in terms of maintaining a certain physique. And then as I got older, I'm like, no, that was their ability to check out and be with themselves and be with God. And that to me has been a constant reminder of that was 30 minutes that my mother could carve out in a day for herself. And I, I just want folks to be so encouraged by this conversation and by the incredible work that you're brokering and facilitating, Lauren, that um, we deserve it and we can have it in the here and now. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful uh, because you said it earlier, Lauren, but bringing up this thing about love and friendship and caring for each other, there is, that's just such a powerful rest that we can um, give to each other and for Megan to show up that way with you uh, at that moment with that kind of caring and love you can almost exhale you know when you feel someone is there to help it be better for you and that they care enough to be active so um, thank you I just think the this term of love and friendship uh, are so powerful Thank you all. This has been so beautiful and such a powerful reminder of the why behind how I show up in the world and so timely as well. So thank you all so, so much. Thank Thank you you. for being here. And just if you could just take a moment and tell people how they could support home one and then where they can find you on the interwebs, that would be great. Absolutely. Thank you for that. So Yes, everyone listening, um, our website is Black Girl in Ohm. That's Black Girl in O-M. And I always like to, you know, offer to uh, 
the definition and the meaning behind Om because not everyone knows, you know, Om within um, Sanskrit, which is the language of yoga, at least how it um, traced back to um, the East, because we know that there's also a yoga lineage that traces back to Kemet. Um, but Om really is the universe. It's life, it's death, it's transformation, transmutation. And so for me, being a black girl in own means being committed to the journey and all that it brings up, right? Not running away from what feels scary or hard or challenging and not running away from our joy and our thriving because we all know we can call in love, we can call in peace, we can call in blessings, but how open are we to receive when it actually shows up? So blackgirlinohm.com. There you can click on the support button if you would like to support um, all the work that we're doing, um, particularly all the support coming in right now does go towards home, our healing space for black women. Uh, we have a GoFundMe. All the proceeds go to the same place though. So just head to the website. And um, you know, I also have a podcast. I think it would be remiss for me to not mention that for people to also tune into the Black Girl Known podcast for more conversations around what reclaiming our wholeness looks like. Um, and last but not least, we have a really beautiful um, community, a, a monthly membership called The Circle. And um, there will be ways for people who are interested in joining to um, receive the invitation for that. We actually recently decided to kind of close open enrollment, so to speak, but there will be other ways for people to, to step into that really sacred, special place. And we got to get all of you in there, honestly. Yeah, I need it. This podcast was uh, water to my soul, honestly. It was so needed. So thank you so much, um, Lauren, not just for being here, but for the way that you show up um, in the world and how much you offer to all of us. And so we're really excited to have you. We will drop all the links to all the things in the description and be sure to go click so that you can support home and the brick and mortar space for healing for black people. Thank you. Check out these words of wisdom from Gmom. You know and understanding that I need rest uh, and that it can take various forms, uh, but I need to be aware that it's, it's part of my renewal each morning, uh, not just to have my devotions, but to be really intentional. You know, at one time I used to get up and read my scriptures. Whoops, I did that, you know, check it off. Uh, but lingering in the scriptures more, listening to God's voice. Uh, what does this mean for me in this moment? Um, and, um, and not being apologetic about it. 